Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Quite often in the Christian world, people will use words that they do not quite understand. What I mean by that is that they will use words assuming that the definition is one thing and yet truly it's something else. It means something else and yet people don't quite understand that and so they use these words inappropriately. They use these words to teach things that are just simply not true and as a result this does tend to lead to a lot of confusion in people's lives. And so today I would like to talk about one of these words and that word is atonement. The word atonement has been used a lot in the Christian world and of course is still used and I would expect it to continue to be used for many years to come, but this is definitely one of those words that for the most part people just don't really understand what this word really means and how it was actually applied in the scriptures to define something, to define something very important, especially as it relates to sin and how our God would look at the sins of the people, the sins of the world, effectively. What this word really meant, what it implied, and how our God was using this in order to illustrate something very important. But in spite of all this confusion, I do believe that today we can still look into the scriptures and see what this word really means and how it is applied and begin to use it appropriately. Now, for the most part, what is taking place within the Christian world today is that people are talking about the blood of Jesus. But they're talking about the blood of Jesus in the context of atonement. They're talking about the blood of Jesus in the context of atonement to say that the blood of Jesus covers your sins, that your sins are hidden by the blood of Jesus, or they are under the blood, or they are covered by the blood, or just plead the blood. Okay, there are many ways that people describe this, but what's important to understand at this point is to just understand that people talk about the blood of Jesus as your solution or as your opportunity to deal with your sins and to have them hidden from God so that he will then not hold your sins against you. Now, having said that, if you have not listened to me for very long, you probably would assume that I don't believe that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and that definitely is not the case. I do believe and I do teach very aggressively that forgiveness has definitely been granted to the entire world as a result of Jesus' death on the cross and the shedding of his blood. But what I mean by that is something very different than what most of Christianity means by that, and I would like to make that distinction very clear. What most people assume that means, or what most people are believing that it means, is that people believe that what this means is, is that when Jesus died for their sins, that their sins were covered by the blood, that they were hidden by the blood. And what I believe is that our sins have been completely taken away, that they have not just been hidden, that they have not just been covered, 
but they have been completely taken away to the point where they do not exist anymore. And so right up front, I would like to define the differences between what I believe and what other people believe, what I teach versus what other people teach. And that is that most people are teaching that Jesus has died for your sins so that your sins can be covered. And I am teaching that Jesus died for your sins so that they can be completely taken away, that they are not covered, but they are totally removed. Now, you might think that that's kind of a technicality that doesn't really have a whole lot of meaning. But I personally have this odd personality, this personality that requires things to be much more defined than, well, I think it's just a semantic question or something like that. I personally, I just don't really do very well with those kinds of conclusions. I would like to have things better defined. And, of course, there are lots of people that don't care about that. And that's okay. There's no reason for me to say that there's anything wrong with that because there certainly isn't. But I would like to say that this distinction is very important because it does lead to other problems that are even bigger in size, bigger in magnitude. I mean, huge problems that people end up with in terms of their understanding about their God or the scriptures or their relationship with their God. It does lead to bigger issues, bigger things. And so because of that, I believe it's definitely worthwhile to spend some time talking about this difference between forgiveness in the sense of being covered and forgiveness in the sense of being taken away. Now, in order to explain this, I need to tell you about atonement first. I need to tell you about the definition of atonement and what it really means and what it really represents. Now, the easiest way to say this has to do with the use of blood, I think that this is the easiest way to deal with this question, is to talk about blood. If you've ever come in contact with any blood, then you will have hopefully will have noticed that it can be very difficult to clean. Whenever you have a bloody nose or you cut yourself or you get injured and you lose a little blood and it gets on your shirt or it gets on your pants or it gets on the floor, wherever it goes, it turns out that it's very difficult to clean this stuff up. It's very difficult to clean blood up. And, of course, there are chemicals that we can use. Hydrogen peroxide is a wonderful chemical that we can use. It helps clean that up. But what you will notice is that it's very, very difficult. And in addition to that, that if you don't clean it up, if you if you have a drop of blood hit the floor, for example, and you don't clean it up, what you will find is that it creates this hardened shell. When it dries, it creates this shell over whatever it covers you will find that it will create this shell. Now, if it comes in contact with any clothing, then it's usually absorbed by the clothing. You don't really notice the shell effect so much. But when it hits something else, you can definitely notice that this is a characteristic of blood. Now, when it came to the tabernacle, when it came to the tabernacle that was defined by our God and then the temple much later, and it came to the artifacts, those things that were in the temple the Ark of the Covenant, for example, or the altar where animals were sacrificed. When it came to these things, blood was put on these things. When you read through the Law of Moses, you will find, especially when the tabernacle was consecrated, and then later when the temple was consecrated, when it was put into operation, it was consecrated through the use of blood, where it was sprinkled everywhere. Now, when it was sprinkled on the artifacts of the temple or the tabernacle, it wasn't cleaned up. It was definitely left there. But this was the act of atonement. 
in the context of blood or the context of shedding blood and using the blood in order to atone things. It was an act of covering these things, but not covering these things to the extent where they were hidden, but covering these things in a sense that they would then be memorialized. And that's the word I'd like to use in order to try to exaggerate the point of atonement, that things were actually preserved. They were not hidden. They were not taken away, obviously. They were preserved. Let me give an example. Let's say that you had a wooden box. And if you have this wooden box, this box that you make out of wood, perhaps you would like to preserve this box to keep it from being destroyed by the elements, or you might want to move this box around, put things in it, carry it around, put it on the floor, put it on the table, use it for a storage purpose that would be used on a regular basis. If you don't put any finish on this wooden box, then the wooden box is going to be damaged much easier than it would be if you were to put a finish on this box. And for that reason, we tend to finish our woodworking. We finish our boxes. We finish our furniture. We finish our chairs. We finish our tables. We put a finish on these things in order to preserve them. The finish that we normally use is a wax or a polyurethane. Uh, Back in the old days, there was something called shellac that people would put on things. We put a preservative, we put a coating of something on these wooden boxes and other things. We put a coating on them to protect them and to preserve them. Now, if you consider putting a polyurethane or a varnish or something on a wooden box, how much do you think you would need to put on this box before it no longer looked like a square or a rectangle, but it started looking like a sphere, perhaps, or a ball? How much of this stuff would you have to put on this thing in order to make it look like something else than what it is? You certainly would have to put a lot on this thing, and you probably would have to be a little bit creative in terms of how you actually applied it in order to get this rounding effect. It'd be very, very difficult. But that's the point, is that it's just about impossible, if not extremely difficult, It's very difficult in order to change the actual shape of something by putting a coating on it. Well, that's what was happening in the tabernacle. The blood that was being put on the altar, the blood that was being put on the Ark of the Covenant, the blood that was being put on everything, on all the artifacts, was not changing their shape. It was instead, it was preserving their shape. It was protecting their shape. It was putting a shell around it to the extent where things would be protected. And over the course of time, layer after layer after layer of blood, this hardened shell would be such that it would be just about impossible to break through it to get to those things that were being preserved. It would be just about impossible. It would require some very substantial skill and tools in order to make that happen. A lot of effort would be required in order to chip all that blood off to get to the original artifacts that were made before the blood was sprinkled on them. So please understand that this is atonement. That's what this word means. It means a covering over something in order to preserve it in order to enhance what it is. And what I mean by enhance is that it would not really change its shape, 
but it would memorialize its shape and it would preserve it to the extent where it would show that this thing is definitely not going away. And that's the point of atonement, is that whatever is atoned is not going away. It is definitely going to be put in a permanent state to the point where it will not be hidden, it will not be taken away, it will not go away, it will be memorialized, it will be, by definition of that word, it will be put in a state so that it will be remembered, so that it will be remembered, that there will be memory associated with that. It's sort of like getting a plaque as a reward, and then we preserve it by putting a coating on it, and then you hang it on your wall. It's something that you memorialize. It reminds you of an accomplishment that you made. When it comes to atonement and the sins that were atoned for under the law of Moses, under the Old Covenant, these were sins that were memorialized. They were to be remembered. And so when people are talking about the blood of Jesus being a means by which our sins are atoned for, what that really means by definition is that people's sins are being memorialized, that people's sins are being remembered, that they are put in a state, put in a condition such that they will be remembered. That's what atonement means. And so when people talk about being covered by the blood or their sins being put under the blood, or just plead the blood, or remember the blood, or apply the blood. Whatever people say, when it comes to that, when it comes to this notion of atonement, what they're saying is is that your sins will be remembered. Now, for the most part, I don't think people intend to say that. I don't believe that people are intending to say that sins are to be remembered. I don't believe that that is what their intention is. But there will always be this underlying meaning that will always creep up on people, especially when they study this word atonement. And the more that people think about it, the more people will start to realize what it really represented and what it really meant. And there will be a conflict in terms of how do I keep these catchy phrases alive in my Christian life when these catchy phrases seem to give the indication that my sins are actually being remembered that they are not truly being taken away. Now, again, I want to say that people are not necessarily intending to do this. If I was to confront someone, if I was to confront you and ask you, do you believe that your sins have been atoned for? You could say, yes, I do believe that my sins were atoned for by the blood of Jesus. And I can get technical with you and say, you know, by using that word, you're actually saying that your sins are being remembered instead of being really taken away. And we could argue about that for years and probably go nowhere with it. I don't think it's a worthy argument to try to start. However, what I would find, I do believe I would find, because I have found this in most people's Christian lives or in their beliefs, what I do find is that a lot of people actually do believe that. They really do believe that their sins are kind of covered, that they're not really taken away. And let me give you some examples of this. One very common example with how people actually believe in atonement, and yet they don't really know that they actually believe in atonement necessarily, one of the ways that people believe this, or one of the evidences that I can give that shows that people actually believe this, has to do with the future. Let me give you an example. In the future, there are some people who believe that when they go to heaven in the future, 
They believe that the Lord is going to play this videotape, perhaps, of some kind, where he's going to play this videotape of all the sins that you have ever committed, and it'll be on this big screen or in a drive-in theater, perhaps, or something like that, because he needs to make this accessible to everyone, uh, something like that. People believe odd things, but he's going to play this video of all of the sins that you've ever committed. Now, he might not do that if you're saved. It depends on who you talk to. Some people will say he'll do that regardless of whether you're saved or lost. If you're lost, then he definitely will do that in order to give all the evidence and proof that shows that you definitely need to be saved. And because you rejected the salvation that was offered, you're going to have to go to hell and this is the evidence. That is a way of saying that everyone's sins are preserved. It is a way of stating that. It is a way of saying that your sins were atoned for, covered over, but they were never taken away, and so they're still kind of there. For an unbeliever, we may argue that point. For a believer, if a person believes that the sins are going to be brought up again, the only way that they can be brought up is if they are preserved that long, so that they can be presented. Some people believe this. People believe other things. For example, people believe that if you sin too much, you know, as a Christian, if you are just too much of a problem and you're just not getting over your sin, then he may have to take you out early. That the Lord may have to intervene and just find some way to take you out, to kill you, so that you can go into heaven before you cause too much damage, before you cause too many problems. Some people believe that. I personally, I, I do not believe that at all. However, there are people who I respect very highly even who do believe that. I just don't agree with them concerning it. But they do believe that, and that to me is a form of atonement. It is a way of saying that your sins were protected or they were preserved, that they were tallied up. I mean, they have to be preserved in order to be accumulated in that sense. And eventually, once you have accumulated enough sin in your life, then finally the Lord will say, I've had enough Look at all these sins. We're going to have to deal with this person before they cause too many problems. And so he will take you out of here. That's what some people believe. And so while they may not believe in atonement, as I described earlier, that your sins are not really taken away, but they are just simply covered or preserved or memorialized, they may not agree with me on that point. However, there are other things that they do believe that does give an indication that truly they do believe in atonement. And so it's just simply a misunderstanding, or perhaps they do believe both things that contradict each other. That can very well be the case. A lot of people believe things, and yet these beliefs do contradict each other. It's a logical fallacy, and people still get along in their lives just fine. They just live with some confusion. But that's okay. I understand that. People can still get through their lives just fine. They can still have some kind of a relationship with their God just fine. I don't need to devote my life trying to get everybody straightened out. That's not what I do. But in the context of atonement, what you need to understand is that this distinction is real, that there is a very clear distinction, and that when people are using this word, from a biblical standpoint, from a historical context, the word means something else than what people are necessarily intending when they first use it. Through the examples I just gave, it may actually be consistent with what they really believe, and yet they may not know it or they may not be willing to truly admit it. Who knows how these things may play out? Now, in the law, 
in the law of Moses, God did give a clear distinction between atonement and forgiveness. And I can read this in many chapters, for example, in Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 4, Leviticus chapter 5, Leviticus chapter 6, you can see an example that our God gave that shows that there is a distinction between atonement and forgiveness. For example, consider Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4, starting in verse 2, God said, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally in any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and commits any of them, if the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. And then if you continue to read in Leviticus chapter 4, after he explains that a little bit more, you get down into verse 20. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 20. The Lord said, He shall also do with the bull, just as he did with the bull of the sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. There are two things that are being said here. At the end of verse 20, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 20. There are two things being said. The first thing is that the priest shall make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. There are two ideas that are joined together with a conjunction. The conjunction is the word and. That means there is one thing and there is something else. The one thing says that the priest shall make atonement and then the other thing is is that they will be forgiven. What it does not say is that the priest is the one who will do the forgiving. The priest was given no power, was given no authority, was given no right, no ability to forgive anyone. He could do atonement, but he could not do forgiveness. That was a very important distinction in the priesthood, especially as it describes the role of the priest in comparison with the role of our God. Our God has retained the authority of forgiveness to himself. He's not sharing the ability to forgive with anyone. He's keeping that for himself. He is the only one who can forgive. A priest, on the other hand, can exercise atonement because it's just simply covering over this sin. And so the priest would shed the blood of the bull or other animals that were presented And he would take the blood and he would use that to cover over something, to give the illustration to show that the sin was being preserved, that the sin could be remembered. That's what that meant, that it would be covered to the extent that it would not lose its shape, it would not lose its form, it would effectively be remembered, but remembered for a future purpose. It would be remembered so that one day in the future, when God decided that he would exercise forgiveness, it would be there, it would be available, it would be ready for that forgiveness that our God would finally give. And I believe that that was what took place when Jesus died on the cross, that it was through that historical event that the meaning behind it would finally be implemented, which was that our God would forgive the sins of the entire world. He would finally forgive all of the sins that were remembered. He would forgive all of the sins that were memorialized. 
and they would finally be totally taken away because he is the only one who truly has that authority. That is the concept of forgiveness that is distinct from the concept of atonement. The priests could help with atonement in order to make sure that things were adequately remembered. However, our God would exercise forgiveness so that the sins would actually be totally taken away and never be remembered again. And there is a word that describes this. That word is propitiation. The word propitiation is a word that properly describes what our God has done on our behalf through the Lord Jesus, which is distinct from atonement that was available through the law of Moses. And so try to understand that throughout the entire course of history, or at least the history of Israel, all of the sins of the entire nation of Israel were continually piled up. They were continually added one after another. And they were atoned for one after the other, which means that they were memorialized one after another. And so if the entire nation was willing to accept Jesus as the Messiah, this is what it would have looked like. It would have looked like the entire nation waiting with great expectation, with great anticipation that one day, as the law says, their sins would be forgiven. It was a prophetic statement a prophetic announcement in Leviticus chapter 4. There's also a verse in chapter 5 and in chapter 6 and in other places. It was a prophetic statement that not only would they be memorialized, but that one day they would be totally forgiven. They would be totally taken away. And the fulfillment of that prophecy in the law, embedded within the law, the fulfillment of that finally occurred after centuries and centuries took place It finally occurred when the Messiah died on the cross for all of the sins of the people, for all of the sins of the entire world, in fact. And it should have been, it would have been, a wonderful moment when the realization, when the fulfillment of that prophecy that had been given would finally be realized and people would then be truly reconciled to their God. But even though they didn't see it and they didn't understand it, From God's perspective, that's exactly what happened. It was then that they were reconciled to him and he would no longer count their sins against them except for the one sin of rejecting the salvation that he offered. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net